I kept loading my plate as full as I possibly could because I felt like in order to be successful, you have to be busy in order to be in or like I kind of wanted people to think I had it all together, even though I was like running on fumes. Busy is good if you're happy and managing, but busy is not good if it's overwhelming. Do you ever feel like a hamster on the treadmill of life? Welcome to She Walks the Walk, a movement I started to help women lead more inspired, more authentic lives. I'm Sam Plavins. Thanks for joining us. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of She Walks the Walk. Today, I'm bringing you a story that may ring true for many of you. Kaylee Black was your classic overachiever. If there was a post to hit, she'd aim higher. She drove herself tirelessly as a paramedic living on three hours sleep between commuting, shift work, and caring for her new daughter. She just assumed this to be the normal routine for any successful working mom. But life knew this pace was unsustainable, and Kaylee soon found herself in the middle of a mental health crisis. Losses began to pile up at her feet, and then an unexpected trauma forced her to reevaluate how she defined fulfillment. That trauma was a gift. This is a story close to my heart. Like Kaylee, I suffered a nervous breakdown when I was 28. Physiologically, my body just shut right down, rejecting the crazy amount of pressure I was heaping on it every day. I remember I could barely face myself, feeling like a failure for not being able to keep it together, let alone shine. The thing is, it's easy to end up on this path. Our culture of glorifying busy and curating success online contributes to many of us feeling like life is just one big rat race. It doesn't have to be, though. You can choose simple and unhurried. You can choose to ask for help. When you're finished listening to this podcast, I'll share some important resources for you. If you're struggling, you aren't alone. Let's listen to Kaylee's account of The Gift. Kaylee, it's so nice to have you. And if you don't mind, just give our listeners a a quick overview of how old you are, where you live, and what hats you wear as a woman. I'm Kaylee, and I live in Waterloo, Ontario, Canada. And I'm 36 years old. I'll be 37 in May. Um, I'm currently a full-time family and newborn photographer. And previous to that, I was a, a paramedic for 15 years. And I have two young children, uh, a girl and a boy, and I've been married for 15 years. The full enchilada. Yeah. Wearing all the hats. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, totally. So how I met Kaylee is she, first of all, I'm looking at a replica of my friend Courtney because Kaylee is a twin. She's the younger one. And Courtney is a woman that I worked with, not directly, but in financial services, When I was in my career, which was also 15 years, and I'm just a huge fan of Courtney. And when she connected us, I felt like an immediate kinship with you because (laughs) totally Mm -hmm. you have described yourself as an overachiever. Hello. I have that Um, Mm t-shirt. And what particularly struck me was this idea that, you know, you've spent a lot of your life worried about disappointing people. And that is something I can completely relate to. Yeah, it's still an ongoing struggle for sure. (laughs) Is it? Yeah. I was hoping you had some secret sauce to pass on (laughs) me. 
What I'm really interested in is is telling stories of authentic women who have overcome something in their life and who are walking their own walk right now. And your sister Courtney has said that you've, you know, you're doing that in spades that you really embody this idea of, you know what, the old isn't working for me, whether it was by design or by default. So, can you tell us your story? And you're yeah, going to have to go yeah, way back absolutely. to the beginning. Yeah, I mean, I think it was a little bit by design and by default. Um, and I, if you would have told me 15, 20 years ago, I would be where I am today. I would probably wouldn't have believed you. I starting back in high school, like I knew I wanted to be a paramedic. Uh, you needed extremely high grades to get into the program, like high nineties. Like it was, it's just crazy. It's really, really competitive. So that was kind of my push in high school, I, you know, it, starting with like, I was, I didn't ever skip a class because I was afraid of disappointing my parents thing, right? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Where kids get excited to get away with that. And I was just like, well, I can't skip. I would disappoint my mom. So you're a good girl. Yeah. Um, I think the only day I ever skipped was like that student skip day that you had to have permission from your parents. So it's kind of embarrassing to look back on. But yeah, so I had, I graduated with a 96 average um, from from high school. So I could have gone to any university, anything I really, really wanted. And I chose a college program. And I even felt disappointment in choosing college over university because there's this push to go to university if you have great grades mm-hmm. and that sort of thing. But mm-hmm. I couldn't go, I couldn't do paramedicine in university. So mm-hmm. I went uh, at the age of 18, I started um, paramedic college and I was the youngest in the class. Um, most people had kind of jumped into second career choices at that point, kind of like treated like the baby sort of sort of thing and finished top of my class and got hired right out of college as a paramedic. So I didn't really get that time to go explore or do the things that kids probably should be doing. Um, you just jumped right in. I just jumped right in. I got hired full time at stage of 20, bought my first house at 21, fell and moved out, moved away. Um, but felt like I had to keep like keep impressing and doing more. And and I was proud of myself for being, you know, making like 80 grand a year at the age of 20. And but I feel like I was setting myself up slowly for like, how can you keep this path of like high, high success going? Like you kind of capped out at 20. So I worked full time uh, for eight years. I loved my job, started experience like slow shift worker burnout, missing Christmas holidays. I think I worked nine Christmases in a row. So I didn't have a family at that point. So I kind of just justified it that I was kind of paying it forward that, you know, when it was my turn to have a family, someone would work Christmas for me. And, but you don't realize how much little things you miss out on um, that are important when you're just working and taking care of others. So that kind of continued. And um, just my husband and I lived uh, two hours away from Kitchener Waterloo in uh, near Collingwood, Ontario. But then we were on completely opposite schedules. It wasn't great for our marriage. He was working nights um, and evenings in uh, the food and beverage industry. I was working days, nights, weekends, you name it. And then I just felt the need to keep overachieving at work. So I went and joined this like high risk team that basically went into hazmat scenarios. I was the first woman in Ontario to be hired for it. Uh, Everyone was like, whoa, Kaylee, it's super dangerous. Pump the brakes. And I was like, no, but it's the next step. I have to do it. 
And at the same time, I got pregnant with my daughter, which I had to hide to be on the team because you couldn't be pregnant and doing, yeah, because of the danger level. So I made the decision to hide my pregnancy and uh, try and basically make it as far along as I could without showing. So eventually... Yeah. And eventually I went to a pretty bad call um, and I was like, okay, this is crazy. I'm putting someone else's life at risk other than my own. So I had to tell the team that I was pregnant and I was the one woman out of 18 members. Like they had wives and they get it and stuff, but I was being treated like one of the guys. Right. So it's very, very, very different for a woman paramedic to try and wear both hats, to try and be the tough and uh, like to try and do everything. Um, Mm -hmm. But I think that was my first realization that I couldn't do it all. um, And that having a child was going to change things for the better. Like I thought, Oh, I'm going to have this baby. I'm going to jump right back to work. My husband's going to take paternity leave. I wasn't even going to take any time off. I just thought, no, I'm going to just jump right back in. And it clearly wasn't the case later, but that was my mindset when we were, we decided to have a family like, oh yeah, I can do it all. And we didn't have any support system where we lived. And I wasn't worried about that. I thought, well, everyone does it. Like, like we'll figure it out. We'll hire a nanny. We'll do this. We'll do that. But um, yeah, things change drastically when you have children too. Do they ever? Yeah. So that that team was like a big big part of my career. I I'm, I'm I was sad. I was most sad to leave that team when I decided to leave working for Simcoe County, just because it gave me purpose and I did feel like I achieved a lot. Um, and I'm still really really proud of the work we did on that team. But I think it was I tried to define myself by working all the time, and I didn't really have a like I didn't have a definition outside of work. So mm. I I had I def, I definitely have great friends and great family, but um I think that was probably if I look back, I I lived for work. And then kind of just to fast forward to like my first major traumatic event was we had our daughter um and I had a really, really, really bad traumatic delivery. Um, mm-hmm. kind of like those one in a million deliveries. So and I essentially pretty much died uh, six hours after having her. My daughter was healthy. She was nine pounds, three ounces, big, beautiful baby. Courtney was actually with me in the room, my twin sister, and um, she noticed me going downhill. We were in a really small hospital, not great care as far as they didn't really recognize bad scenarios. They're only used to having healthy, easy deliveries. Mm-hmm. Um, so I had a precipitous delivery, meaning I just had her too fast. And so I started to bleed out, but they didn't know that. So by the time they caught it, I was like, they said, as close to circling the drain, that's a paramedic term, but as close to not coming back from as possible. And one of the only things that actually saved me at the time was I was super, super, super fit from being on this um, high-risk team. And I continued to like be so incredibly fit during my pregnancy. And at the time, it's funny because I was always an active person. I love running. I love doing things. But I I was never as active as I was during my pregnancy. So it's crazy that I felt the need to be so fit. And the doctor that actually uh, worked on me, I got transferred to Mount Sinai in Toronto, which is about a three-hour drive from the hospital in Collingwood. Um, So I went by ambulance. And the crew that came to pick me up were my partners that I used to work with as paramedics. So it's, it was just kind of like, you know, you're, you're, you're putting your life in your friend's hands. And when you're that ill, you, you don't care. Like you're just, you're, you're, you're exhausted. You're done. Like to put into context how ill I was, I 
I turned to my twin sister and said, I know I'm not going to make it. I know you're going to have to take care of my daughter. And like a lot of doctors will say like people that have that feeling of like absolute when they feel like they're going to die, they do. Uh, my husband was able to come in the ambulance with me. My, my sister, my parents took my daughter home because um, she was healthy. And so I didn't get to do like the first anything with her. So I got transferred to Toronto and the doctor there even said like, you shouldn't be alive. You are so, so sick. I lost so much blood. So I received multiple transfusions just to get me back to like the land of the living essentially. And then uh, was just monitored to see if the bleeding would stop because they said finding the bleed internally would be like finding a needle in a haystack. Long story short, I was so sick. They wouldn't let Carter come to Toronto and it's middle of winter. Carter's my daughter. So my parents and Courtney basically took two weeks off and took care of her and started her life at home. And babies are so resilient. You know, I was lucky to have such a healthy baby. Um, I think she had to be born big and healthy because she wasn't going to have her mom around for the beginning. Mm -hmm. Uh, So my husband stayed with me until we got out of the woods. And so um, just shy of two weeks after being in Toronto, I got, I was able to go home. Um, And then it was a long, long recovery. I think it was like, two months before I could be left alone with my daughter just because of the vertigo and uh, the recovery was just insane. So I was lucky that it was my first, so I didn't know what to expect. Um, Mm -hmm. Hence why I also didn't realize when I was like slowly bleeding out that I should feel that shitty. I just thought, Oh my God, is if everyone feels this way after having a baby, like why does anyone do it? Like, (laughs) like I just felt so terrible. And I do remember feeling the disconnect that I didn't want to hold her. Like I didn't want, to like, I just remember feeling so unwell. So that's pretty scary to think back on that a new mom like was wanting to hold her baby and then was like, okay, I don't need that. I don't need this right now. Um, And yeah, looking back, I definitely like, I see the videos they were so great to videotape everything like her first bath and um Courtney was like we jokingly said uh, we should have been sponsored by BBM because at the time we both had blackberries and like it was 2012 there was no crazy ways to communicate we didn't have iPhones we couldn't FaceTime so we were both just BBMing pictures 24/7 back and forth to each other and it was really traumatic for Courtney too because she was in the delivery room and um and then try and tell her she can't be with her best friend her sister in the hospital um Mm. you know so she stepped up and took care of the baby but um it was really really tough for her too in fact I'm surprised she wanted to have children after (laughs) after witnessing it but I think her bond with my daughter because of spending the first two weeks of her life and learning just being thrown into learning how to be a mom on the spot definitely created a connection with my daughter but uh actually I was given advice from our doctor at Mount Sinai that said we both would need therapy that uh even my husband would need therapy because it's really really traumatic we we don't give enough credit to our spouses that go through these things with us um Mm -hmm. they like I you know he he basically didn't shower for two weeks he didn't he he didn't leave my bedside he sat like slept in a chair upright uh holding my hand like you know all the nitty-gritty and was terrified he was going to lose his wife like he had to sign papers whether or not I wanted to be resuscitated going into surgery and like and it's conversations you don't have at you know the age of 28 and and everyone just thinks oh you're gonna have the baby and that's just that's gonna be the biggest challenge so yeah that the traumatic birth of my daughter definitely like changed my life for sure 
So three months postpartum, my daughter was three months old. My husband got offered a job to work back in the Waterloo area where all of our family and friends were. Uh, and he accepted it without even asking me. And I said, what about me? Like, what about my job? I'm going back to work soon. And he's like, well, first of all, you're crazy. You're not going back to work anytime soon. You actually still thought. Yep. Cause that like was my plan. That was my plan. I'm, yep. I'm going back. Yeah. But even even though, yeah, because my husband was doing food and beverage, so it would it made way more sense financially for me to go back and work my full time wages and him to be the stay at home dad, and that was a hundred percent our plan, which is so crazy because he didn't even take like two days off after my last child's birth. <laughs> so, like, he's capable, but we went from like oh yeah, I'm going to go back full time. I can't give up my spot on the IRU team and to literally him being like, no, we're moving back to Waterloo. And I was like, uh, what about me? So I kept my job as a paramedic in Simcoe County, but fully knowing that if I was going to return to it, I was going to have to commute minimum two hours and you can't transfer as a paramedic. So you reapply um, and you start from scratch. So I did, I applied immediately. Like I was still like on my deathbed pretty much. And I applied immediately to Waterloo because they were doing a spring hire and I'd worked there in the past I'd worked there for a short time when I first graduated and uh, the 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 boss at the time responded back to me it was like Kaylee we would 100% love to hire you back however um, it sounds like you've just been through a hell of a lot like maybe enjoy your mat leave and we'll talk again in a year And I was like, I know, but I need to have job security. And he was like, you can't even do like a lift test right now. Like you can't hold your 10 pound baby. Like let's, let's pump the brakes. He's like, enjoy. And I remember him saying, enjoy your mat leave. So I was kind of disheartened a little bit because I was like, well, we're moving back and I don't have a job in Waterloo. Like, what am I actually going to do? And I was just like, my whole world was like, what would I do without a job? Like I couldn't even wrap my head around what happens if it was just my husband working? What happens if I was just a stay-at-home mom? Like I couldn't wrap my head around even that concept. Like I would never have just. Why was that, Kaylee? Was it because you worried about the security and, you know. Yeah, I mean, I mean, financial stability would have been one thing. And I was, I was the breadwinner up until that time in our relationship and marriage. Mm -hmm. Um, And I was proud of that. And my husband was okay with that. But I like, I felt like I didn't want to be defined as a mom. Like I, I, I I felt like I needed more than, or, or being a mom wouldn't have been enough for me. And Mm -hmm. when you make goals for yourself, if all of a sudden you change them or you didn't complete them, I think that that fact would be devastating. And I think I would have disappointed so many people if I would have been like, oh, by the way, I'm just giving up 15 years of being a medic by that thought didn't even cross my mind. I couldn't even, I couldn't even fathom that. So um, my mat leave, we came home, we bought a house and I, I started to enjoy my mat leave. Um, but I was never a person to have spare time, if you will. So totally I was, yeah. So I was extremely bored during my mat leave and people hate me that when I say that, that have tough children, but my daughter was like, honestly, the best thing ever, like too easy. And I was super bored. So I started, uh, I took up photography and I started taking pictures of her. And then, you know, friends and family would reach out and say, oh my gosh, you take such beautiful photos. Can you do our family photos? And then can you do a wedding? And then can, so during my mat leave, I basically full, full force went into photography full time. Um, And I was just like, doing it evenings and weekends when my husband was home or I would have my mom come over while I go do a shoot and I was charging people like $50 a shoot or something like 
I thought that justified my time away from my daughter. I don't know. But I was like still happy because I got to be a mom and I was doing something I loved and I, and I started taking all the courses and all the things to just uh, my free time, right? Like I wasn't a person that would sit and watch TV. So, um, and it's still now a force to like, I, I'm not a TV person. I, I, but it's, I've come a long way in that. Um, I, I'll, I'll get to that in a bit with therapy, but yeah. So then my mat leave ended in January and, um, I had to go back to Simcoe County. So we found a daycare provider that would take my daughter at 6am because my husband started work at seven. So he could drop her off on his way to work. I now had to start leaving my house at 4.30am in order to get to Collingwood by seven. Um, so I, I started, I started commuting, um, and I had to commute three days a week, one week and five days a week, the other, like it, it, um, it was like Monday, Tuesday, and then Friday, Saturday, Sunday. And then the opposite week, it was just Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. Um, so on my days off, I had to have my daughter. Two even, hours, two hours both each ways, way. Like, uh, and so a 12 hour shift minimum. Oh my goodness. I know yeah. where this is going, yeah. but keep going. Yeah. So I was like, I enjoyed the time to myself on the drive there on the way home. You just were excited to get home, but I wouldn't even make it home in time to see my daughter. So on my day shifts, I would stay over at friends houses, but that's like three to five nights a week. And people would say, Oh my God, I can't believe you're like spending time away from your daughter. She's only one years old. And I justified it. Cause I was like, by the time my shift even finishes at seven 30, she's in bed. Like even if I got home five minutes after, like she's, she's sleeping, like she doesn't know I'm not there. And, and she probably doesn't know I'm not there. She doesn't remember that time in our life. The people that had to step up to the plate to help for sure. Remember I wasn't there. Like, you know, my husband was the champ at bedtimes and overnights and everyone's like, who do you leave her with? I'm like her dad. <laughs> like, you know, it's not a, not a big deal, but you know, like, you know, friends that have a hard time leaving their kids ever. And I was doing it five days a week for work. And I, I didn't think twice about it. Cause I kept thinking, you know what, if, it, if this was a man, no one's going to judge him for leaving his daughter five days a week. But I, oh, I, so I got a lot of, yeah, I got so much flack and judgment um, for doing that. And so that was January. And then I had to wait for the spring hire to apply to Waterloo, like I had the year before. So I applied and I got hired, thankfully, but uh, you start over. So I was part-time. I was guaranteed one shift a month. Very, 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 you know, lackadaisy. And, and looking back, it probably would have actually been enough because I could have picked up extra shifts. But I didn't want to give up my full-time job, my security, my partner, my base, my vacation time. I didn't want to give any of it up. And uh, so I started working two jobs come April. So I was working okay, part-time stop. in Waterloo. You, yep. kept, you kept the crazy commute job? Yes, I kept it. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I was you... full time. I Oh my yeah. goodness. Okay. Yeah. So I was working like 88 hours bi-weekly in my full-time job. And then my part-time job, I had 12 to 36 hours a week on top of that, um, on the days I had off from there. So, and there was lots of times where I was like working 3 p.m. to 3 a.m. in Waterloo and then 9 a.m. to 9 p.m. in Simcoe County, including dry, like, including driving there. So did I would it, finish shift. Yeah, go ahead. Did it, did it occur to you at all? And I'm, I'm not being a smart ass because I totally have worn the t-shirt. I understand yeah. where you're coming from, but did it occur to you that this pace is not sustainable? Like while you were in it? 
It didn't at all. And that's, that's what contributed to my eventual burnout is I knew like, I would just like, it was like almost like one day at a time, like, or one week at a time, I would look at my week in advance and be like, okay, on Sunday, I have a day off and I would just like get to Sunday. Um, But I didn't ever see what I was doing as crazy. And people would message me and be like, girl, I don't know how you do it all. Like, where do you find the time? And I just didn't sleep, to be honest. I, I, I literally was getting maybe three hours sleep regularly. And I thought that was normal and okay. And you can't take care of yourself that way. You can't take care of your family that way. You can't take care of anything that way. And I was like doing emergency medicine. So it's crazy that I could function and do my job well and knock on wood. Like I never, ever screwed up or anything. So like, it's, yeah, the spring hit, my husband said, like, how long are you going to commute for? Like, how long are you going to com- keep commuting for? And I said, well, I won't pass my probation in Waterloo for 500 hours. Meanwhile, I had no reason to think that I was going to fail my probation. Um, mm-hmm. No one rare, like people rarely do. But to me, it was like the job security. I got to keep both jobs until I pass my, my probation in Waterloo. And so that continued on until June. Um, and at the beginning of June, my mom got diagnosed with breast cancer. And out of the blue, um, she had been completely healthy. She was 50 years old. So, and I remember being in Simcoe County that day because I couldn't go to her doctor's appointment because I had to work. So Courtney went with her, my sister, and uh, they were just trying to get to the bottom of some health issues, the way she was feeling. And Courtney called me and said, yeah, mom has breast cancer and she's going to start treatment. And I said, oh my God, like, like, I want to be there. I want to be a part of everything. And And Courtney's like, are you kidding? Like, you can't, you can't do, you can't be a part of your own life. And as soon as she said that to me, I'm like, yes, I can. And she's like, but we're not going to be able to help as much with Carter. And I was like, holy shit. Like I've, I'm putting a lot on other people just so I can work. And like, even financially looking back, I don't even think we needed the money that badly. So it wasn't Mm -hmm. even about income that I was working these jobs and working crazy hours. And so I went to actually first to Waterloo and said, my mom's sick with cancer. Do you think I could take like a leave of absence? And they said, absolutely not. You're a new hire. You have to work. And uh, I said, like, it can be unpaid. I'm, I feel like it's easy to take a leave of absence as a part-timer because you're not filling in someone's like station or spot, right? So Waterloo said no. Um, and uh, so I was like, okay. So Steve's like, you have to go to Simcoe County and ask for a leave. Like you, you just have to. So I went to Simcoe County. They were incredible. They were like, 100%, how long do you want off? And I said, let's start with two months. And they're like, let's start with a year. And that's what they responded with. Like, I think, yeah. And they had known me for so long and they're like, you have to take care of your family. And uh, they knew I was commuting and um, all that. So I I took a year leave of absence from them. So then I only had to work my part-time hours in Waterloo and I I kept doing photography. So this is where I just, I, I kept loading my plate as full as I possibly could because I felt like in order to be successful you have to be busy in order to be like in or like I I, I kind of wanted people to think I had it all together even though I, I did for the most part even though it was like running on fumes so fast forward my mom got really 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 sick in a hurry um, and then died unexpectedly six months after her diagnosis 
I, it was so, so fast. And the, the disheartening part of it was, um, which we've, we've still got some work to get through like six years ago, but my the doctor that her oncologist that diagnosed her um, was young and seemed really hopeful and, and told us flat out not to quit our jobs, not to put our lives on hold, said, you know, most women in their fifties with breast cancer live with this for years and years and years. And it's not good for families to quit their jobs because then it just puts financial strain on everything everyone. So she flat out told my dad not to stop working. She flat out told us not to stop working. And then, you know, six months later, I'm thinking, you know, that last six months, I worked how many shifts I took, how many photography gigs I did all this stuff that could have been time with my mom. So we were able to say to the doctor, like, you know, six months is not a long time. You told us not to put our lives on hold. And we didn't because we were in this for the long haul. And she was like, yeah, sorry, I misdiagnosed her, her, like how bad, how bad she was. So she took fault for it, but still didn't get our time back with her. And that made me realize like then like shit, time is so important. And my daughter was at that point, um, a year and a half old now. And, uh, so I, I, along with my mom dying, I tried to get time off work from Waterloo and they wouldn't give it to me because I was part-time and you don't get sick time or bereavement time as a part-timer. I can't um, get over that. That's a I know lack of compassion and empathy. Yeah. Part of that and part of my mom dying led to my eventual burnout with being a medic because the lack of compassion they showed me when I'm trying to be taking care of other people and mm. like even during my mom's funeral not one person from the region of Waterloo acknowledged that my mom had even passed away during my mom's funeral um, and it's totally a communication and logistical error looking back but it's still not excusable I had missed four phone calls my friend was holding on to my phone um, four missed phone calls from the region uh, checked my voicemail and I had been written up because I refused to show up to a shift and it was, I was literally at my mom's funeral and I had another friend <sighs> call them the day my mom died and say, Kaylee won't be in this week. And we did her funeral the same week she died. So it was a whirlwind, but you know, the last thing that goes through your head is like, Oh, I have a shift on Saturday, you know? So, um, and my girlfriend had called and said like, Kaylee will not be in. And it, you know, the communication factor didn't play out and they didn't call me in sick. So not only did I not get paid, I got written up for not showing up. And uh, and that was just a thorn in my side. And then called probably about three days after her funeral to talk to human resources and just said like, oh, I noticed that I didn't get my bereavement pay. And they said, oh, you didn't qualify because you missed your two shifts before, before she died. And I was like, because I was in the hospital with her. And they're like, you're part-time. It doesn't matter. You don't get paid. So at that point, I was like, income wise, I had to get back to work, right? Like that was our only source of income from me. And I should have been home grieving and helping my family take care of things. And five days after she died, I went back to my, I went back to work as a medic and I was like, not in a good place to be on a, on an ambulance, taking care of sick people. And I ended up working a shift that day with a guy that had just lost his wife actually to cancer. And he like, he's changed my life in a big way, but he kept saying, you shouldn't be here. You shouldn't be here. And I was like, I don't have a choice. Like I, it's either that or I go home without pay or I quit or I go on a yacht. Like I, just because my mom died, like I, I guess I need more time, but I don't have a choice. Mm-hmm. Um, that's when my like kind of bitterness started towards the job. It wasn't, it wasn't a career anymore. It was like an, an a means to an end. And I didn't enjoy going to work. Um, I got really, really bitter over the fact that like no one, 
even sent me a condolence message from, you know, a supervisor or anything. And I was like, they actually don't care about me. Like they, like we're just a number here. And I was just like, how many years I've been put into this job, my heart and soul and like something the most traumatic thing that can happen to me, they don't give a shit. And then I was like, for what? Why did I work all those shifts in August? Why did I work all those shifts in October? You know, um, mm-hmm. I missed my mom's last Thanksgiving because I couldn't get Thanksgiving off. And um, my year came to an end. My year leave of absence came to an end in Simcoe County. They weren't even pushing me to come back, but I called and I just said, I can't do this. I can't come back. And so I went up for like two more shifts, like I just just to say kind of goodbye. So I left there on really good terms. And part of me thought like, mm, someday I'll come back. Like someday we'll, we'll be, you know, like who knows, but I, I didn't want to leave on bad terms. And they kind of had heard how things had gone down with Waterloo and they were flabbergasted because they were like, you know, you've been here with for so long and you're so highly respected and for, to not receive the same respect back no matter how long you've been with an employer is really, really disheartening. So soon as I quit my full-time job and went part-time as a medic in Waterloo, my mindset shifted big time. I was no longer obsessed with being a paramedic uh, and obsessed with achieving there. It was more or less, more or less like work the shift, get home, see my family. And then I really, really amped up my photography in the meantime. My son came along three years after my daughter was born. And I decided about six months into his mat leave that I didn't want to go back to work. (laughs) And um, I was like, at the same time, wanting to be uh, independent and still contributing to our income. And so I decided to take, this is before the government allowed you to take 18 months off. Moms on mat leave can take 18 months off here and that sort of thing. Mm -hmm. Um, This was before that. So I had heard that you could take a year leave of absence following any sort of parental leave and they couldn't say no and they had to hold your job for you. At the end of my one year, when I had to give them notice I was coming back, I said, oh, by the way, I need a year, an extra year unpaid leave. And a lot of people can't afford to do that. So most people don't take advantage of the ability, but it basically gave me the job security that after a year, if I want to go back, there's a paramedic job waiting for me. And then I got the extra time at home with my son. So, and my daughter was in school full time. So I really got a lot of one-on-one time with him. And then my goal for that year was let's see how, how, if I can actually make this photography thing, a full-time business. And, and I thought if I can do that, that at the end of this year, I can create a lifestyle for myself that actually works with our family. So I don't have to book shoots on Christmas. I can actually spend Christmas with my family and I can be as busy or as like lack of busy for better words as I want to be. Um, and I just wanted to make sure that there was actually a need or it made sense for our family to do that. So at the end of the year, I still wasn't confident enough to quit my career job because that's what I'd gone to college for. And that's what I, you know, you felt like you put all this energy and training into. And mm-hmm. so many people at the end of that year said, oh my God, Kaylee, you're so happy. Like, I've never seen you this happy. And I was like, really? Like, is it that different? And everyone's like, yeah, you're like, you're rested, you're normal. And like people asking me about my marriage, how's your marriage? I'm like, amazing. It's never been better. And like, you know, that should have been a big warning sign. Like what is so different in your life that everything is great, you know, like, so I, but it still wasn't an aha moment. It was still like, no, I should go back to being a medic for a little bit. So then I said to my husband, I'm going to go back to being a medic for a year. If I can make, if I can balance being a mom of two, a wife, 
being a part-time medic and running photography for a whole year, then I'll keep it up. If I can't balance it, I'll quit being a medic. So then that juggling act began again. So like piling everything on, right? And I pretty much went to working straight nights because it meant that I could photograph during the day, if that makes sense. Oh my gosh, Kaylee, I I just want to shake you. (laughs) I know. And so many people would say like, I don't know how you do it all. It's amazing. And I took it as a compliment, whereas Uh I think I should have been taking it as an insult or at least I should have opened my eyes to why. I got so many people saying like, where do you find the time or how are you doing it all? Um, Or how is it healthy? It wasn't healthy whatsoever. There was nothing healthy about it. So, and we didn't have weekends. We didn't have, we didn't have anything. Like we didn't have any of our, we didn't have like true family time. Right. And I wasn't being able to go in. I didn't get to go to any of my daughter's sports because I was working every night. And then I would come home and nap during my son's morning nap time. Like from 10 to like 12 or whatever, when he still napped. And then I would get up and do it all over again. Uh, and sometimes go to shoots on like literally an hour sleep. And just because I loved the photography side of things, I still loved yeah. it so much that I was like, I got, I, I can't turn down the clients that want to work with me. So seven months into my year back where I said, I just got to juggle it all for a year. I just finished a busy, busy fall, uh, really, really busy photography season. And uh, fall is busy for all photographers. Everyone wants fall and Christmas photos. So um, it was my busiest year yet. It was so successful. I was so happy with the amount of clients I saw. Uh, But on top of that, you have editing time and email time and all that jazz. And then my paramedic shifts. So everything kind of piled up. I, I was definitely looking back like full-blown signs burnout but had no clue I had no clue what burnout was what it looked like and I do think it's different for everyone but for me I think there was just nothing left in the tank and I was so out of energy time there was nothing left and Mm -hmm. Christmas holidays is stressful for a lot of people and especially if you are dealing with the loss of a loved one and everything that goes around that. So it was mid-December, it was December 16th, and I went in for a 3 p.m. to 3 a.m. Saturday shift. So I'd been up all day. Technically, you could nap before a shift like that, but you only have to work till 3 a.m. So most people just power through and don't. So I'd been up all day with my kids. It was a Saturday. I'd spent all day preparing for a Christmas dinner I was hosting the next day because I was doing an early Christmas dinner. And uh, and my plan was to like get home at 3 a.m., put the turkey in the oven, you know, do all that stuff. So I went into my shift and like 10 minutes into my shift, my very first call, which was my last call, full disclosure, uh, my very first call of the shift, we got paged out code three, which uh, in paramedic world is no lights, no sirens, non-emergent. If It's basically the next available truck can get to it. We were super, super close by, like could pretty much see it for a call at a bus station for a guy that was acting weird. So we got called basically go pick up someone on the bus. Uh, It doesn't seem like a big deal. We actually kind of like my partner and I kind of were like flipping ahead over like who has to go deal with the the crazy person, Um, not thinking much of it. And 
I jump in the back of the truck and within 10 minutes of this call, things go sideways. And without getting into too many details, I was attacked in the back of the ambulance and uh, I had no way out. And I literally had to open up while we're driving on the highway, open up the side of the truck to try and get away from this human. Um, so we called for police. They weren't available. They were busy that we knew if he didn't have weapons on him, but normally on a call like this, you would, you would normally have police kind of pat them down to make sure that they're safe to go with you. During the call, I noticed that he had uh, fresh wristbands on from jail. So I, I, attempted to ask him why he had just spent a night in jail and just not uh, someone that wasn't in the right mind. And, and so wrong place at the wrong time for me. And I had dealt with hundreds of people in similar scenarios and never, ever been threatened in such a way before. Anyways, I got away. I was safe. Physically, I was safe. Mentally, I was shattered. Um, we got to the hospital and my partner knew that police weren't available. So she called ahead for security, the hospital security to meet us. So they came running out and, you know, we kind of called them like robocops. Like they, they want to be cops at times, but they, they definitely take care of us when, when we need them. So they came and um, restrained um the gentleman on the bed and I went about my call and I went into the hospital and gave my report and the second I was done giving my report I just crumbled like I actually couldn't move I couldn't talk and I went I went to the bathroom I didn't even tell my partner and I couldn't get off the floor and I was like oh my god who am I gonna call and so I called Courtney and I was like I, I, I don't, I don't think I can go back to work and I couldn't stop crying and I was just uncontrollable I couldn't get words out and uh, she had been on like the receiving end of those phone calls a few times because I've been to a lot of traumatic calls over the years, but never, never like that. And, and I can say for sure, I've never been able, that was the first time I wasn't actually able to compose myself with a little bit of thought. Normally you're like, okay, that, that was horrible. And realistically, I had seen way worse things. I've been to the deaths of children and suicides and like career-wise the calls I'd been to were a hundred times worse at times, but I never saw my life flash in front of my eyes before again. And, and just being like that feeling of trapped men and attacked and not being able to get away. I was, and I kept saying, I've got kids at home. This isn't, this isn't worth the $300 I'm making today. This is not worth it. You know, and at the end of the day, I was making $300 that shift and this is not worth it. This is not worth it. I just kept saying that over and over again. So um, I, kind of pulled myself together enough I went out to the truck and my partner was like holy shit that was crazy are you okay and she was driving so she wasn't in the back with me and I was like no no I'm not okay and then she goes oh shit no and I was like no I, I think I need to go home and I had never gone home from work before in 15 years of being a medic so out of all the bad things I'd seen and whatever sometimes you might get 20 minutes off to clear up your call but I'd never ever ever considered leaving during a shift. So I even remember being told I should leave during a shift before and I didn't. I just sucked it up and paramedics suck it up and they've seen worse mm-hmm. and they just move on. And I was like, I can't even say my name right now. Like I can't, like I can't even talk. So she dialed our supervisor's cell phone number to let him know that or she dialed it and handed it to me. And I remember I couldn't even get words out. I was like, like sobbing so bad and I was like I can't so I pass it back to her and she's like okay we're coming back to the station um Kelly's gonna have to go home I go back to the station no one says boo to me like basically like okay go have a good night like you know so I packed up my stuff for the night I was supposed to be back in the next next night like 
Sunday night at 7 p.m. So I was going to host Christmas dinner the next day and then go back in at 7 p.m. So I... I got in the car and I was like, oh, fuck, I don't even think I can drive. And my husband didn't know anything about this yet because he was home with the kids. So I made it home and I pulled in the driveway and I was like, I can't, I can't see the kids. I can't go in. Like I I wanted to get home to see them, but I didn't want them to see me like that. Mm -hmm. So I called my husband from the driveway and I was in tears and, and I said, I just need to come outside. And so he comes outside and I said, tell me when the kids are in bed. Cause I can't, I can't come in until they're in bed. So I wait, I basically wait outside for two hours. He gets the kids in bed and I come in and I was still, still uncontrollably crying, like two hours worth now, like uncontrollable, like shaking full body tears are running out of my like dehydration from tears. And I just keep thinking to myself, why can't I stop? What is wrong with me? Like Mm -hmm. something is broken. Like I literally can't stop. And then I thought, and it's not even that bad. I didn't get hurt. I don't have the freaking scratch mark on me like Mm -hmm. how how am I going to explain to anyone that I'm not even physically injured you know Mm -hmm. and trying to relive even what was what had just happened to tell my husband about it I was super super um beside myself so we went out and had a hot tub and it kind of calmed me down he he asked me to tell me tell him as little or as much details as I wanted and I so I kind of went into a little bit and I, I couldn't, I couldn't even bring myself to tell him that I've been attacked at first because like husbands want to protect you. And sure mm-hmm. enough, when I did, he was like, what's his name? I'm going to go get him. And I was like, that's not the way it works. You can't like, you can't go get him." And, and he's like, I can't believe this could happen. And, and, and then I made the mistake of saying, well, I've been in way worse scenarios. Like this was just yeah. the first time, you know, and then it kind of dawned on me. Like I have been in way worse scenarios. This could have happened before, but I, so we kind of got through that. I I remember like crying myself to sleep. And then the next morning he said to me, um, I've canceled Christmas. And I was like, you what? And he's like, we can't host Christmas today. Like I just said, you got called into work. So we lied. Um, and uh, so we canceled the, the Christmas gathering with the, our extended family we were supposed to see. And then mid afternoon, he came to me and he said, I think you need help. I, I, I don't know. I, I can't help you. I don't, I've never seen you like this and you're scaring me. I think you need help. And I was like, okay, well, who do I get help from? And you, you would think there's so many resources for paramedics for the amount of trauma we go through, but there isn't. And even asking for help is so hard because you go through the hoopla of calling their 1-800 number and you do, you go through, you know, the long tunnel of uh, whether you're looking for family support or whatever. And by the time you even get to the the questions about being on a traumatic call, like you're so far lost and so far gone that you want to just hang up because who, how is this person on the other end of the phone going to actually help me get through this call? So Sunday was kind of a blur. We kind of just spent time as a family together. Um, and then Monday he was supposed to go back to work and he was like, I don't, I don't think I should be leaving you alone. Like I, I, I wasn't going to hurt myself, but I was just still not myself. I was still outbursts of crying. Um, and, um, he's like, I think you should talk to someone. So I went down kind of the rabbit hole on the Monday of trying to get some sort of help and letting them know how traumatized I was. And I called in sick that night for work for the first time, like ever. And, uh, and it was like Christmas season. So calling in sick is not looked upon as a part-timer and I wasn't supposed to be back in again until I think the Wednesday night. And then I called in sick on the Wednesday 
And then I called in sick on the Thursday. And then I called in sick on the Friday. And that many sick calls in a row should have like, especially as a part-timer should have like set an alarm off. Like either this person's actually very ill or they're trying not to come to work. No one reached out to me. Um, No one had any clue what was, no one had even reached out to me after the call. Like, right. So finally on the Wednesday, I think it was like the 20th of December. So like a couple days before Christmas, I got through to a counselor through um, our EAP program at work. Um, They sent me in person to talk to a therapist at Homewood in Guelph um, Mm. and to do, to do an assessment because that's kind of our provider. At the end of the assessment, she told me there was nothing wrong with me that I could go back to work. And I was like, I just drove and yeah. And I, I remember like I had to lie to someone to watch my son about what, what my appointment was about. Cause I was like ashamed of what was going on. Um, I drove to Guelph and the assessment basically said, no, you're perfectly fine. And I called my husband and was like, well, I guess I can go back to work. And he's like, absolutely not. You're, you're not going back to work. Like you, this is not okay. So yeah, I, I was like, well, I'm going to continue calling and sick to work until someone says something other like I'm not getting paid for it right I was part-time so I called in sick for the entire Christmas holidays um, because I was not able to work I was literally on eggshells we got through like four or five family gatherings and not one person asked me oh how did you get Christmas off this year or you know so it was kind of like and those sort of things actually made me really, really mad at the time. I remember calling my sister and saying like, no one has even noticed I've missed a minute of work. And Courtney's like, how would anyone notice? You work all the time. People have no idea what your hours are. They would just assume that you're off today. Like, don't be whatever. And I was like, you know, so upset that like, why why aren't people noticing that I'm not myself or why aren't people noticing Christmas holidays is a horrible time to get a mental illness because um, all therapists take a vacation. So I then was put back in contact on the phone. Someone did a follow-up with the EAP about uh, how did your, you know, counseling session go? And I was like, horrible. Like I didn't get anything out of it. And I I wasn't even talking to a trauma counselor and yada, yada, yada. And so then they put me through to someone else on the phone and had an amazing experience. And she flat out was like, you should not be working. You should not be doing like this. And basically went through the whole ringer to make sure my kids were safe to be around me. Um, Mm. And like, went the other extreme right um and so she said you know we're gonna set you up with this great trauma therapist she can kind of go through you know to see if you actually qualify for trauma therapy and if you need it and um we'll go down that route but she looked in the calendar she's like the earliest she can see you is january 26th and i was like okay that's a whole month from now like what am i supposed to do in the whole month and she said well we recommend reaching out to a counselor whatever and so but on your own terms and on your own dollars type thing so I was now at a point that I, I agreed that I needed help. I, I I couldn't live in this like weird way of just crying all the time. And I felt like I was never going to get my sanity back. I just felt absolutely insane. I was jumpy. I was the littlest things made me snap or cry or both and nothing made sense. Right. It was just like, like Kaylee, utter exhaustion. I have, yeah. I have to tell you, I just, just so that, you know, as someone who has had a nervous breakdown, physiologically, I understand and know exactly what you're talking about. You know, the, the, the incapacity of your brain function. Yes, like when totally. When you can't even, you know, put two plus two equals four and you, you can't explain why that's not happening. 
this shame that you attach around not being able to get it together. I just want you to know, I'm like, this is so for different reasons because I wasn't in a trauma. The path that I was on led me to that exact same spot of like complete helplessness. Yeah. And that's what it was. It was completely helpless. And once I started seeing a trauma therapist, my life changed like drastically for the better. Um, Mm. But I still didn't actually think I needed a trauma therapist. I knew something was wrong with me. I thought maybe I could just, uh, and I've never been a medication taker. I never had taken any sort of antidepressants, anything to sleep. I'd never taken anything, even though I probably should have. When she basically told me all of the things that were on paper wrong with me because of all my diagnosis is. Um, and she told me that she was going to fix me. I laughed at her. I actually said like, there's, there's no way you're going to fix this. Like there's no way I'm not going to be a snappy person. There's no way I'm not going to be hypervigilant. There's no way I'm not going to be anxious. And these were all things of compiling over the years that I just thought were normal. And I think I lived in such a hypervigilant state for so long to to live my life because I had so much piled on that I thought that was normal. And I think Mm -hmm. my body was like full, like I was in full adrenal burnout too. Like I had all the symptoms of like, if, if it wasn't going to be my mind that shut down, my body was going to shut down next basically. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So even a year into my a year off with my son, uh, my appendix ruptured and I was in the hospital and like looking back, that was a sign that my body had, was even having too much at the time. Um, and I didn't, I didn't appreciate like the time off or the downtime or that sort of thing. Yeah. So fast forward to my therapy, I got diagnosed with PTSD. Um, and what's interesting is I, as a medic, I didn't really believe in PTSD. I thought it's just what some people go off with as an excuse to get paid to be at home, like a serious, like as bad as that sounds, like it's, it's not, it's not a, it's getting better now, but it's not something we talk about openly. So when I went off, when I was off from work as a medic, I then started short-term disability, I guess. If people reached out to me and say, oh, you're off, it's easier to say, yeah, like I hurt my ankle or I hurt my knee or hurt my back, but no one says, oh yeah, I'm freaking crazy. I'm off because I got to get well. Um, Mm -hmm. So I, I lied and I I hid it for so long and we didn't even tell anyone in our family other than my twin sister's family because they were a huge support system and we couldn't hide it from them. We didn't tell my dad. We didn't tell any of anyone in my husband's family. A few people in my husband's family realized, started to figure out that I wasn't working as a medic, but they still didn't pry. But yeah, I hid it for like seven months because I was ashamed that I was going to therapy three times a week and even asking people for help with childcare. I felt guilty when I was going to um, therapy and stuff, but I would lie. I'd say I have a dentist appointment or I'm getting my hair done or, um, and it would have just been so much easier if I would have been like, yeah, listen, I have therapy for two hours on Tuesday and then I need two hours more because it's exhausting and you can't go take care of your kids right after therapy. But it was just so much easier to live in a a lie and be ashamed. And then finally a part of my therapy, she, she wanted me to tell everyone, I think it was around my birthday. Um, she wanted me to tell everyone over the course of a weekend that I was in, I was in therapy and that I hadn't worked for six months. And that was like the hardest weekend of my life because I was like having to go out of my way to sit people down and be like, okay, so I've been lying to you for six months and I went through something big, but I don't even, I can't even tell you about it. And it took me two years to even speak my call out loud again, you know? So, um, and so many people would say, oh my God, what happened? What was the call? And 
I, what I want most people to know, especially there in my scenario, the call actually has nothing to do with my breakdown. My therapist referred to my call as a gift, um, as in like a present. And when she first recalled, referred to it as that, and I had to start, I had to start referring to my bad call as the gift. And it was really, really, really tough. And the reason she called it that is she said, you were at such a breaking point in your life that anything like anything probably would have tipped you off shortly. Obviously getting threatened, your life threatened is huge, right? Like when your life literally flashes before your eyes, that's a huge traumatic event for anyone, whether you're paramedic or not. But that same call could have happened to me on year two on the job and I would not have snapped and I would have gone back to work and I probably would have kicked the shit out of that guy. Like it's, but at that point in my life, I had piled way too much on my plates and the death of my mom and taking care of my dad and juggling all these jobs and, you know, life. And I was like at a burnout breaking point. So Mm -hmm. that day, that call truly was my gift because it was a wake up call. And it was, um, if, if, if this didn't happen this day, would I have quit in three months? Like I told everyone else was going to quit that job. It was like, it was my final reason to, to walk away from something that was making me so unhappy and just not helping our life. Um, Mm. So that was the biggest uh, wake up call from, from that. So I continued therapy for a year and a half. We did hypnosis. We did so many things. We worked through so many things that were unrelated to paramedicines, mind boggling, because I just assumed everything was the fault of being a paramedic. And that's not the case. But when you live a busy life, and you compound it all together, none of those things help either. So during therapy, we were working to get me back to work. That's always the goal to get you back to work as a paramedic. Um, she was well aware of how busy my life was and two young kids and a husband that works full time out of town and yada, yada, yada. And so she, our goal was to get me back to work and that we were on the path to there. Um, and at, at any given point in time, if she would have ever seen that I wasn't capable, like sometimes PTSD is so bad that you cannot return, she would have eventually rolled up a different plan saying she's unmentally able to return. We didn't get that far. We we were doing baby steps to get me like back towards an ambulance because an ambulance was even a trigger for me, even seeing one, being around one. So um, in my in the midst of trying to get me back to work, I was in the office one day um, and we were coming up with a return to work plan. And it was months and months and months from me actually being on the trucks. Um, And I accepted my return to work plan and I walked back towards the garage and uh, where all the trucks was. And I was like, I can't do it. I can't do this. And I just turned around, walked back into my boss's office and I said, I quit. And it was not planned. So like you said, like, uh, you know, whether a plan or not, um, and I immediately felt a thousand pounds lighter, the lightest I've ever felt. And it wasn't, there was no regret. And so they said, are you sure? And I said, I'm absolutely sure. He said, you know, we're going to need this in writing. So go home and and think about it and send an email. And I said, no, I'm done. Like I I quit. This will be the last time I'm in this building. Is there anything we can do to change your mind? I'm like, nope. I quit and I walked out the door, happy tears flowing from my face. No one, I hadn't told anyone I was going to quit because I didn't know 10 minutes before that I was going to quit. Um, mm-hmm. And I get in the car and um, I turn on the song, uh, the radio and a Zach Brown band's songs playing and I just start crying with it. And then I right away call my husband and I said, babe, I just quit. And he said, thank God. 
And I said, what are you, what do you mean? He goes, I couldn't tell you to do it, but you needed to do it. And I said, you're not upset. And he said, no, oh my gosh, no. And I said, what happens if I don't make enough money as a photographer? He's like, then we'll figure it out. Then you get another job. You're not defined by your job. Like you have to be happy and our life has to be happy. And, and he said like the last couple months of you not being a medic and going to therapy, like our life has never been better. And I was like, really? And he said, yeah. And he said, but I couldn't be the one to tell you to quit. So it was just like huge support system, like felt so, so light called my sister. She was like, happy dance. Let's go celebrate. Like, I can't, I'm so proud of you. You needed this. Like, you don't need to be defined by going back as a paramedic. And then I was actually going to touch because your post about your closet resonated with me today. Um, (laughs) You shared a picture of how you have a wardrobe of your work attire um, Mm -hmm. still hanging up. And I mean, your clothes, you can kind of still get away from, you know, get away with wearing for nice events. And do you need all those? Probably not. But for two years from the day I quit, my uniforms hung in my closet and I saw them every day. I didn't think much of it. I just thought like, well, just in case I go back, I wasn't going back. I'm never going back. You know, I still have my stethoscopes hanging in my car. That's the thing like medics do. Um, But finally about, I would say it's about a year ago now, because I've been gone for exactly three and a half years from being a medic now. Um, My husband finally said to me, and he, he gets the itch to like spring clean and stuff. He said, so I haven't wanted to say anything, but what are we doing about this huge closet full of uniforms. And I said, I don't know. I don't know what to do with them. And he's like, are you ready to get rid of them? And I was like, yeah. And he said, okay, then get rid of them. And then it still took me two weeks to actually be ready to get rid of them. Because the second I took them out of my closet, I was like, I'm no longer a paramedic. Mm. You know, like I, there's no option that like, like Mm -hmm. at least when they were sitting there, I thought, well, they're, they're there. So I bagged them all up and I drove them back to the place I quit. And I hadn't been back there since quitting. Um, And I walked in and they said, oh my God, what are you doing here? And someone actually said, oh, do you have a shift today? And I was like, stop. I freaking haven't been here for three years. Like, Right. But it's a big place. There's a lot of people. I could have been off on mat leave. Like, like I, I don't chalk that up to too much, but I was like, nope, not employed here. Like shouldn't even be in the building. So I brought the uniforms and I dropped them down. And even just handing the big bag of uniforms over, I was like, okay, this is actually the day I quit. Like this is where yeah. I leave it here. And, uh, and I didn't stick around. Someone said, Oh, so-and-so is here. I was like, Nope, no, I'm good. I'm good. I'm just gonna, I'm going to take off now. And that's the last time I thought about like truly being like the medic in me. So Mm. um, I have no problem seeing ambulances anymore. My best friend's a medic. I have no problem talking to her about work, um, but I don't miss it. And Mm -hmm. so many of my photography clients are past coworkers um, just because you make such great connections with people. And uh, so many people say, oh my God, do you miss it? And I'm like, I miss the people, but the people that I miss, I get to see. Um, I miss helping people, but I still feel like I get the people connection being a photographer, but I don't miss the 99% of bullshit that wrecked my life for a big chunk of time. So, and I sleep now, I sleep all night, which I can't imagine. Like I can't, if someone would have told me I would, I would have slept more than six hours ever consecutively. I would have thought I was drugged. I like, it's so crazy. Yeah. Did you ever used to think that because I had this faulty wiring that sleep was weakness. 
Yes, sleep totally. Is, sleep is for yeah. the weak. No yeah. one has time yeah. to sleep. <laughs> yeah. And I'd even give my sister a hard time. Like, how did you possibly sleep eight hours? Like, do you know how much stuff you could have got done in that time? Or, mm-hmm. you know, and now I think if I don't get close to eight hours, I'm not a good person to be around. And how did I survive that long on so little sleep or no sleep? I remember going days without sleeping and just thinking yeah. that was normal for our life. And yeah. And even, um, the like the whole watching tv thing one of my the questions my therapist asked me was like okay so you've just explained a regular day in the life of KLE or multiple days you kind of had to go through your you know you wake up you do this what you eat blah 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 um and so I did like a week's worth and then she was like what do you do to relax and I was like what do you mean and she was like, well, you know, like Netflix and chill. And she did like the whole quotations. And I was like, oh my God, people that Netflix and chill drive me bonkers. I was like, who the heck has time to watch TV? We didn't have a Netflix account, whatever. So I even said to my husband, like he's a big sports watcher. So sometimes I'd curl up on the couch while he was watching sports and I would just sit with him and fall asleep while he watched the sports. But that was our quality TV time. Um, mm. Didn't think anything of it. And I said to him, you know, do you think it's weird we don't like Netflix and chill? And he was like, well, it would be nice. And I was like, really? Like you would actually like that? And he was like, yeah. So we got my sister's Netflix password, which we still use. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I love that. That's but, the thing. But, but, but now we, uh, we binge watch like shows together, like, you know, and like I, that would like never regular have happened folks. <laughs> Yes. Regular people. Like we have to ask for suggestions and like, like literally five years ago, that was not like, that could just not have happened. That would have just been a crazy, crazy thing. So yeah. So now we do that and I get a good night's sleep and uh, I get to see my kids sports and I get to spend time with them and I get to make my own schedule and life is somewhat normal. <laughs> so, so looking back, do you, do you have regrets or have you made peace and you now understand, well, all of that led to where you are today? Totally. Like my mindset has always been everything happens for a reason way, way, way before I even became a paramedic. And I remember things happening to me at a younger age. My mom would say everything happens for a reason. And at a younger age, I say, that's bullshit. There's no way that me getting cut from Team Ontario is all happens for a reason. And the, because of that, I got to go to China because I wasn't playing on Team Ontario. And so yeah, I think that there's a bigger purpose and plan for everything. And I I don't think I would be um, as happy and as satisfied being a photographer and 99% stay-at-home mom um, if I didn't go through all that first. I feel like there, uh, part of me might have been wondering if there's something more. But yeah, so I don't have any regrets whatsoever. Um, I even think that my timeline wouldn't have happened any differently because there was lots of signs that were telling me to get out of paramedicine for a long time. Like Mm -hmm. as far back as when I started commuting, a lot of people would have just thrown in the towel. So yeah, I don't have any regrets whatsoever. Um, And I don't even know what the future holds. Like I, I think that we're still evolving. Like I'm still constantly evaluating is this the best for our family? Like my goal is good family life and the kids are young and enjoying that time with them right now. And even when I took the the second year off unpaid, um, I remember saying like, what, what happens if I regret doing this? And someone's like, you are never going to regret extra time with your children in 20 oh, years from now. You're, yeah. And someone said that to me, that was a medic. And they said in 20 years from now, you're not going to look back and say, oh man, I didn't work from 26. 26- 16 to 2017 because I spent that god awful year with my son like you know so yeah, it's no. it, it's not the truth right so like like you, you're not going to regret the time um and so 
I like I I think it's still a learning curve. I became I would say too successful as a photographer that I've had to learn how to also dial that back because the overachiever in me wants to just pile everything on and and satisfy everyone. And that was never a, a thought that went through my head. It was like, what happens if I'm not good enough? But I never thought I never thought to ask myself, what happens if I am good enough? Um, oh, interesting. Yeah, and and interesting. Courtney even pointed out a really good point to me. She's like, busy is good if you're happy and managing, but busy is not good if it's overwhelming. So you need to, it's a, and I hate the word balance because I don't think there's any, there's such a thing as balance in life, but I, it's a balancing act. Try and make sure that you actually make time for yourself and your family and your career and you're satisfied in that sense. But yeah, as far as saying goodbye to a great career, it's, it's a great career for a lot of people and it's probably a great career for people that know how to manage their time better too. And, and don't pile so much on. So, um, yeah, I, I don't have any regrets. And what about, um, advice for other overachieving women who are either just starting out in life or are maybe in the middle of their lives and, you know, they're under this illusion that to me, it's an illusion. I'm going to get flack for this, but I'm going to come straight out and say this, this bullshit idea that you can have it all. Exactly. Something has got to give. And usually it's our sanity. And I, that's what my advice was going to be is, um, the, the perception of that we have it all has got to give a little bit. And I feel bad for contributing to that because, Mm. uh, even one of my sister-in-laws, um, when she was pregnant with her first, she said, like, I'm going to look up, I look up to you so much as a mom and an entrepreneur and a career woman, you have it all. And she said, and you still make time for yourself. Cause I was going to ring out tournaments with my girlfriends and, you know, she's like, so like, I, I'm going to just copy everything you do. Cause you have it all. And then she had her first son and this is before like my breakdown happened and she started a side hustle and she messaged me. She's like, I don't know when you do it. Like, I don't have the energy or the time. And, and and I, I felt like I disappointed her in a way because she she felt like, well, if I just kind of copy everything Kaylee's doing, that I can have it all too. And but if she would have continued on the same path, she'd be in burnout mode, right? And oh, yeah. um, and every everyone's living situation is different too. And, and her kid was different. Her kid was needing more attention than me. And so it's not all it's cracked up to be starting a side hustle on your mat leave. Oh my so, gosh. Yeah. So yeah, I think the perception thing and the the illusion is is the best way to put it is no one has everything, has it all together. And, and maybe you do one day, but not the next day, right? How many days do you you decide, do I want to shower today? Or do I want to do this? Like there's something's got to give. So, um, but I think social, social media doesn't help that either. And, and I, I contributed towards posting all the great, wonderful, you know, people do in general. And I'm a big believer in posting positivity. So it's easy if you're only sharing the positive, but you don't, you're not sharing the negative. So, you know, the first time I jumped on my Instagram live and I was crying in front of people, I think I scared the shit out of people. Like, how does this mom that has this gorgeous family and a job, like great jobs, have it all together? And why is she crying? Like, like, and I think. I'm so glad you did that though. Yeah. And the amount of people there, and it was, and it was so scary to do that. I did that on Bell Let's Talk Day, um, 
last year. And it was the first day I actually opened up to my clients that hadn't seen me in person or had asked um, that I had actually quit being a medic. A lot of people just assumed I was still working as a medic. They'd message me to book a time and I'd say, oh, I'm available Tuesday. They'd probably just assume I was working Wednesday, right? So lots of clients in person asked me if I was still working as a medic. And some people, depending on how close I felt with, I'd say no, um, or I'm taking a break or whatever. I lied to so many people for so long just because I was ashamed. Um, and even after I quit for so long, it took uh, it took us probably two months to tell my husband's family I quit being a medic just because no one asked. So why tell? So, but when I opened up on Instagram, it was terrifying. And I just basically blabbered like kind of like I've done today um, and just talked about how I had a mental health issue, how I'd broken down and that I was medicated and that I was dealing and I still felt confident to see some people, but not others. And, and then the amount of, amount of people that reached out to me and said, holy shit, like you're human. Like, yeah. <laughs> and, it's humanity, and I was like, girl. of course I'm, and I was like, of course I'm human. But just because I feel like I show all my human sides doesn't mean you show all your human sides. Right. So, um, and before that, I don't think I did. I think I just showed like butterflies and rainbows and the odd side. I miss my mom posts. So people just thought life was hunky dory and, and it's not the, always the case. So so many people reached out to me saying it made a difference. They asked for how I got in touch with counselors. They asked me advice on certain things. And I was like, I'm not a professional, but this is what I did. This is what you could do. This is what I suggest. Um, oh, and I was wow. like, if I can help one person realize that there's help out there and it's, it's okay to not be okay. And it's okay to feel overwhelmed. And, and I think the yeah. pandemic right now is not helping it, right? Everyone's kind of at, the term pandemic burnout's been thrown out there. And I think everyone's at a, a breaking point because everyone's doing endless childcare or endless online learning or endless working from home and no breaks and not seeing people and not seeing their loved ones and losing their loved ones during a pandemic is hard. And it's, it's sad because there's not much end in sight. Wow. Kaylee's story should be a wake-up call for overachieving women everywhere. Why do we put so much pressure on ourselves? And why do we have this need to define ourselves by our jobs? Drives me absolutely bonkers. I love that she refers to that fateful paramedic call as the gift. Many of us have had our own wake-up calls. These are the events that snap us back to our humanity, to realizing that we've only got one life and that time is as precious a commodity as making money. And in fact, I'd argue even more important since it's not renewable. When it's gone, it's gone. So the question is, are you struggling right now? Maybe you're burnt out from the pandemic. It's been widely documented that women are bearing the brunt of care responsibilities as schools close and loved ones get sick. And while working from home has some definite pros, it's also a bit of a trap. We can quickly descend into old gender roles, feeling overwhelmed by all the things we used to get a little bit of space from. Or maybe the pandemic has been your gift. Has it made you question some things you'd like to change in your life? Wherever you're at, my message and Kaylee's is clear. There is no shame in admitting you need help. There's no need to feel embarrassed to call a therapist, to phone your EAP provider through work, or to reach out to a trusted loved one and tell them you're in pain. We need to stop the glorification of busy now. 
and we need to remove the stigmatization that prevents so many people from getting help when they're feeling burnt out or in crisis. If you're listening to this in Canada and find yourself unraveling, help is available. Text 45645. Someone is always on standby from 4pm to 12am Eastern Time. That's 45645. You can also call 1-833-456-4566. If you're in the States, call 1-800-273-TALK. That's 273-8255. Don't wait until your body or brain shut down. You don't want to go through that. So that's it for this episode of She Walks the Walk. And I want to thank my guest, Kaylee Black, for being so generous with her time and so candid with us. If you'd like to find Kaylee and check out her extraordinary work, you can see her on Instagram at Kaylee Black Photography. And Kaylee is spelled C-A-Y-L-E-Y. If you enjoyed this episode, I'd love to hear from you. Just drop us a comment wherever you get your podcasts. And if you'd like to join a community of like-minded women, we would love to have you. Head over to www.shewalkstheWalk.com and subscribe. Remember, you don't need to let anyone or anything dictate how you live your life. You can walk your own road to happiness.